Good evening, everybody. It is Sunday, January the 14th, 2024. It's 7.59 p.m. Toronto time. This is the Fakeologist Show. We do this show Sunday through Thursday around 8 o'clock, sometimes 8.30. How you guys doing? It's cold here in Toronto. I know it's pretty much cold everywhere in uh, North America. Oops, you missed the cough button there, John. <laughs> and uh, we are streaming live at fakeologist.com forward slash live. And when you go there, you should see audio streaming and video streaming. We should be doing both. And actually, it looks good on the FakeoTube side. FakeoTube is streaming. And I'm going to get the chat going on FakeoTube. And we're also on YouTube. And don't forget, once this video has finished broadcasting on YouTube, we will delete it. Because YouTube doesn't like us, but for the grace of God, they let us stream live unfettered. How long that will last, I have no idea, but that's why I have FacoTube. FacoTube is my video platform. It works pretty well. It doesn't have billions of dollars behind it, but it does have your donations at fakeologist.com forward slash donate. And pretty much all that money goes to FacoTube. And on FacoTube, I have almost 7,000 videos. And you can download them all at once using Resilio Sync. I don't have everything perfectly set up on that yet because most people don't use that. But I will start downloading the videos individually. And you can get it through Resilio Sync, which um, I've told my guest tonight is probably the most decentralized way to, to distribute videos. And when the, all the platforms go away or, or get censored, if you want to share videos, files, anything... It will be, it's just peer-to-peer. So it's your computer to my computer to whoever else wants to mirror it all over the world. And it's extremely fast. And if you go to fake11.com forward slash sync audio or fake11.com forward slash sync video, you should, you can, you can sync all my audios. And there are over... 2,000 audios now that we've done in the last 11 years. And the minute this show is saved, you will get it on your computer if you have it synced, even before I put it on the website. So how's that for a deal? The videos are later. They're, I don't really have that going yet, but there are, there are a few videos that are sitting in there, a couple gigs. So I highly recommend that be something you you check into because as everyone here knows i love technology and that's half the reason i do this show because i just like playing around and being a talk show host but um otherwise i do like talking about all the topics we had a huge audio chat this morning that uh, i that i haven't posted yet and we talked about all kinds of things went for about six hours it's sponsored by typeware who's been here 10 years and he pitched in so thank you so much. And we had quite the conversation about Joe Rogan with uh, Loopy in Ireland and Farce Value in Texas. And that was fun. If you like the whole topic of uh, androgyny and transgenderism and all the crazy things people do in the mainstream media. And it's it was pretty wild. I enjoyed it a lot. And uh, we even introduced uh, one of Sinead O'Connor's greatest hits to someone who lives miles down the street 
and didn't even know that song. So that was kind of strange. But it was good. Anyway, tonight's guest is is an, is not a fakeologist. And as I've told, well, I guess he probably is. Well, I'll have to ask him if he is. But we don't always talk exactly about media fakery. I do go where the research takes me. So a link takes me to a link, takes me to a link. And then I get on these streaks where I start looking at one thing or the other. And I don't even remember how I got exactly to this exact topic. And it doesn't even matter. But I started researching Ernst Zundel a, a couple weeks ago. And when you're researching, you just start pulling strings. And you go all kinds of places. And I came to a website on BitChute, because that's the other thing. As you all know, I'm back on BitChute. I was off BitChute for a long time because it was so slow. It didn't work. And the comments weren't notifying me. But now that I'm back on BitChute, I noticed that I've, it's taken all my time away from all the other places I used to go. So on BitChute, there is tons of material about uh, fakery and fake nukes. Phil is on BitChute and, and he's talking outwardly and upwardly about 9-11. So that's been pretty interesting because there haven't been too many 9-11 talkers in the last 10 or 11 years that I've seen. And he's gone wild on it and he's getting pretty popular. And so other shows are picking him up, including mine. He's here regularly on Wednesdays, but uh, he's creating tons of videos. It's, it's, uh, he's really, he really gets it, which is extremely rare in the 9-11 research to have someone that goes as far as he goes. So I'm really having fun with him. Anyway, um, one of the topics was Ernst Zundel, and it, I found a site that I probably was already subscribed to and started seeing a lot of Ernst's, Ernst's material keep popping up. So then it, then it was quite clear that this channel that's on your screen now, John, Robert, John Robinson 101, is pretty much all Ernst Zundel. So I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. So maybe so I thought I'll ask the guy who runs the site if he doesn't mind if I just download all the videos at once because I BitChute isn't the easiest thing to navigate. Just even, you can't even search for a, a specific video on a channel. So that so I um, I told him I use Resilio Sync which I mentioned earlier. So I thought why don't we get that set up and then one thing led to another. And John wanted to, so I said, by the way, John, where are you in the world? Because obviously it doesn't say anything about who he is or what he's, where he is. And turns out he lives down the highway from me in Toronto. So then I thought, then he, then he said, oh, I'd like to meet you before I um, agree to an interview. But you did, you did link all the videos. And uh, we had a we had a meeting at uh, where else would you meet in Canada? Tim Hortons coffee shop, of course, because that's the only coffee shop pretty much left. So we had a pretty cool meeting and uh, got to know each other. So let me just stop right now and introduce John from the Toronto area. Hey, John. Hey, how are you? Good, real good. And we had a meeting at the Tim Hortons. And we, we, I wasn't sure exactly. I don't usually meet anybody. I've only met maybe one or two people in 10 years of doing this because most people are not in Toronto, period. They're everywhere else. Actually, Canada is one of the least 
visiting countries to my website, which is too bad. Anyway, yeah, I really enjoyed meeting you. We had a good talk there. Yeah, I think you you see that I'm real. You're real, and and yeah, we. That's, that's I think the main is that what is the main reason you wanted to actually meet? Because you're old fashioned. No, exactly that. Really, you can never really know a person unless you actually meet them face to face. So yeah, that's why I decided it was a good thing. I mean, when you're talking to people uh, independent, well such as, let's say, any kind of audio stream or whatever, right? Yeah. It's, it's hard to know them. But if you're sitting across from them and you talk to them and you look into their eyes, you can basically tell whether or not they're legitimate or not. You know, whether they're pulling your leg or whether... And when I met you, I said, now, this man is legitimate. Oh, so, good. Thanks. I, you're probably a way better judge than me because I don't meet a lot of people. My job for the last 35 years is pretty... Pretty independent. I don't really meet people except dock workers. And they're cool people, but they don't say much. <laughs> but you've been you've been meeting people, especially around Ernst Zundel, for for how long? Oh, I guess if you really want to go way back in the dim mists of history, I first met Mr. Zundel in nineteen seventy five. That's amazing. So and you you've been you probably, because you are, well, the first thing you said to me is you are his video, videographer. So pretty, pretty much all these videos that are recorded of him, that's you behind the camera. Yeah, about uh, 90, uh, 95%. Yeah. And Some you, of them were done in other places in other countries where I was not there and they sent the video to us and uh, I edited it and and made a video out of it for here, that kind of stuff. But, about, like I said, about 95%, I was behind the camera and did the editing as well. Sometimes with the help of other people. So that means you pretty much had to meet almost everyone in the video. Any guest, or you had some kind of interaction of some sort. So you met a lot of people. That's the point. Uh, I, I sure did. <laughs> one thing Ernst did is he met a lot of people. He was... He, he had a very curious mind, is what I'm getting from watching these videos. Oh, yeah. Very, very, very. One thing that doesn't show up on the videos so much because he was always uh, talking about other subjects was his interest in, in health. You know, good food, uh, vitamins, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. He was very interested in that. And only one or two videos came out with that as the subject. But uh, he was very interested in those things. Now, my impression of Ernst, because I have been a media consumer ever since, instead of going to parties and drinking beer, I I, I consume media and work <laughs> with and work with computers. So I have always been a mainstream media consumer up until twenty twelve. Oh. So my first impression of Ernst in the eighties was just from our state broadcasters newscasts. I really didn't know anything other than what they said. And I thought he was a bit of a nut because my only image was him yeah. yapping in front of the camera with a hard hat on. That was the image that was burned into my brain. Yeah, he was pretty flamboyant. But I'm always interested in, and I've always, I've always, 
Even in high school, I think I wrote an article against communism back in the 80s, late wow. 70s. Because I, I had, I thought, fairly right-wing ideas compared to everyone else. And so I wasn't an idealist or left person ever. That's just the way I came out. So I was kind of anti-communist. I did, in our own student newspaper, write one or two articles, even though I'm not really a writer, that was anti-communist. So I always tended to, I always tended to look at whoever was against the mainstream. And when I lived out in Vancouver, the guy I always loved to read was Doug Collins. And Doug Collins was, I think, a British military guy who was basically speaking out against whatever the common mainstream narrative was. So I always liked reading him. And then, of course, he started to get into trouble for what he wrote. So that made him even more interesting. Yeah, Doug Collins was originally... Uh lived in Britain. He was really, you know, born there. And during the Second World War, he uh, joined the army mm -hmm. and he was a sergeant in the British infantry. And he got captured uh, at Dunkirk. Mm -hmm. And he had a really interesting time after that. For years, he was uh, you know, a prisoner of the Germans and stuff. And he, I forget how many times he, he escaped. <laughs> I think it was about six times or something. He escaped and got recaptured. And eventually he finally got away from them and, and got back to Britain in 1944. And he immediately went back into the army, take part in D-Day and all that. So uh, he was a, a fantastic, colorful character. And then eventually he moved to Canada and got into the media from which you were listening to him and reading about him. And, so yeah. on. and I met him over a few times and videotaped some of his talks and things like that. And he was just a gem. He really was. I thought he was, I thought he was great. And I thought all his experience gave him so much credibility that I listened to him and mm -hmm. I discarded all the people that were attacking him. Cause I thought, who are you guys arguing with? You can't argue with someone who's, who was there really. And I, and had world experience where everyone else is just, republishing the narrative so yeah so that yeah he, he was uh really for freedom of speech he was a mm -hmm. uh, defense witness for ernst zundel in the 1985 trial wow that he had and uh, afterwards he said at a at a meeting uh with us uh, supporters and stuff afterwards he was saying you know i said uh, he said, I really don't give a shit about Ernst Zundel. Okay. Said, I, I care about the freedom of speech, that he should have the right to say what he wants to say. And that's why I'm here, you know, is for his freedom. And I thought, now there's a man for you. And I'm the same way. And that's my main interest in Ernst Zundel because I think he was at the cutting edge of fighting new laws that were introduced or are being continually introduced to suppress speech. I don't even know if we really have the right to free speech in Canada. I know it's enshrined in the Bill of Rights in, in the United States. I don't really know if any Commonwealth country really has any special rights other than what's allowed by the state. So, Yeah, yeah we, we certainly had more freedom of speech back in the day, back in the 60s and 70s and and even the uh, beginning of the 80s, maybe, mm -hmm. then uh, we certainly have now, that's for sure. It's been eroded big time. You, know? yeah. you have to really be careful what you say and what you don't say. 
Right. So that's my real interest in Ernst. Not so much about exactly what he was saying. I just figure free speech has to be absolute. And if it's not, then it's a slippery slope to just stop everything eventually from being said. And the stuff I talk about is really kind of off the radar. 9-11 is, I just talk about it from a media hoax point of view. And I just originally wanted to see if anyone else had that point of view. Turns out I was really late to the party and the, the whole thing was pretty much solved maybe seven or eight years before I got there. Maybe, well, five years by a couple of guys that I still to this day think have it figured out the best and I promote them. Nothing's changed my mind in 11 years. And uh, one of the guys, Simon Shack, I'm probably going to go on a show with him in Ireland in the next week or this week because oh. I still think he's right. I still think Simon's right. After all these years and all these people that have put out challenging views that really haven't said one thing to counter anything in my mind. So that's why I'm interested in Ernst Zundel. And I'm not, I've, I've sort of stayed away from the Holocaust idea because it's been so weaponized and toxified. And now I think, I think it might even be somewhat illegal some aspects to talk about in Canada as of within 12 months ago. Yeah, it seems that way. But the whole concept of the Holocaust, World War II, about Germany and Nazi Germany and stuff has been, has always been and will continue to be politicized completely. That's why it's so hard to find any unbiased views in the mainstream media and so on because it's just so politicized and it's got more politicized as time goes on instead of less. Most other subjects, you know, they're hotly debated at the time and a little bit time after, and then they slowly cool down and people come out with whatever is more or less the truth, etc. Yeah. except that issue. <laughs> that one doesn't go away and it gets more politicized and more propagandized, etc. as time goes on. You know, so you would wonder why would they do that? <laughs> why don't they just relegate it to history and let it go? But uh, doesn't seem they want to do that for some reason or other. Well, for a lot of a lot of reasons, a lot of people think they've figured out the reason. So let's uh, let's. Um, there's so many ways we can go with this interview because it's, there's so much to talk about. Let's. Why, why don't we just talk about a little bit about your history? Where you came from, where you, where you, where you uh, landed in Canada, and and just your experience, and then how you got involved, and why you got involved, at, as the video videographer of, for Ernst Sundle, because that's you're pretty much as close to the, the the person as you can get without being married to him, I suppose, <laughs> and. Uh, one of the things that I have asked a couple of my German friends and some of the Germans I've met just doing my own research, I wanted to talk about Ernst and Ernst Zundel and just Germany in general and what appears to be just the absolute occupation and suppression of German history and Germany. <laughs> but none of them wanted to talk about it. They're just not interested. They And you told me at the meeting... What about Germans in general? Germans in general are probably it, yeah. the most 
brainwashed people on the planet at this moment in time. You know? I mean, a lot of people think of propaganda and they think of indoctrination and they look at what's going on in our schools and in our media and in the movies and all that kind of stuff. And they'd be right to say that, wow, look at this, look at all this propaganda that's going on, look how we're being manipulated, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, all that is absolutely nothing compared to what they do in Germany and by extension around Europe, Central Europe and stuff. But in Germany, they are the most brainwashed, absolutely amazing people. They don't want them to have any other point of view, any other way of getting any other information as my site here, John Robinson 101. It is blocked from Europe. All of Europe. Well, most of Europe. Most Strangely Europe. enough, there's a couple of, two of the main countries where it is not blocked is Belarus and Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that, I think it's because there's no one in the Ukraine right now, so they don't care. It's probably five people left. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and a couple of little ones, Montenegro or something, but all the major countries and stuff, it's, it's blocked. Is it blocked in Russia? Yes, it's blocked in Russia. Okay. And so uh, this is why it's so hard. I mean, there are a few adventurous Germans and others in Europe that uh, know the idea of the VPN, and they do come to the channel and so on, but that's a very minuscule amount of people, and the majority of them are just, it's not their fault that they have this view, right? And, uh, but they have it because it's hammered any, everywhere, anywhere, and if you disagree with it publicly, then they just uh, bring down the avalanche on you. I'm surprised that there are so many people still, I mean, still a very small percentage, but there are so many people that broke away from all this. I mean, Ernst had lots and lots of supporters over in Germany, thousands of supporters. <laughs> How they managed to dodge the bullet, so to speak, is just amazes me to no end, you know. But anyway, on the, on the most part, I mean, I had one person I used to uh, have a bookstore at one time. Okay. And uh, I remember these two people come walking very young. Young teenagers, maybe 13, 14, something like that, right? The first one comes walking in, and he's, and he's a young Canadian lad. Okay. And he's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and looking at all the stuff. Oh, well, look at all this stuff. This is cool, et cetera, et cetera. And in comes another one walking in, and it's, it's his friend okay. who's German. He's visiting from Germany. And he comes in all hunched over and looking very trepidatious and kind of almost scared of what he's seeing. What's he and seeing? I, What's the name of your was, was your bookstore specializing in, in one topic, this topic? Or? Well, history, yeah. Okay, history. Yeah. And, uh, and so anyway, he looked around, and I showed him a couple of things. I actually had on the wall very large blow-up photographs of uh, the Auschwitz concentration camp back during the war. Okay. Aerial photographs taken by the Allied Air Forces. Just a couple of them. So I, I just mentioned to him something about them. Mm -hmm. And he literally, shaking, he ran out Whoa. of the place. And his young Canadian friend kind of looked, watched him go out, and he, the young guy looked at me and said, What's wrong with him? <laughs> I didn't need to go into the big explanation about what was wrong with him. But anyway, so he went out as well. He left as well. But that's an example of a lot of Germans' frames of mind and reference. 
know, sometimes he was, they, he was triggered they, they by the picture of Auschwitz. He just yeah. Well, I tried to, to explain a little bit about him. I wasn't saying anything about it. I said, look, over here is the sports field, and over here is the swimming pool, and over here, and that was it. And they actually get a physical reaction. Wow. They're so brave. I mean, not everybody is like that, of course, but a lot are like that. And the other ones are basically brainwashed. I've run into others that yeah. are like that. So anyway, for the ones that aren't, I'm quite surprised how they managed to dodge that bullet. That's, I was quite amazed about that. But we had some good times uh, over in Germany when we used to go there. Now, where, where, where are you from? Where were you born? Let's get your background a little bit, whatever you can, whatever you want yeah, to share. Well, I was, uh, I was actually born over there. Where? Over in Germany in the uh, Rhineland. Okay. And my, initially, my father was from West Prussia. Okay. Which during uh, the 30s, at, like after the uh, First World War, was known as the Polish Corridor. Okay. I'm so gonna bring, I'm gonna bring up a map because I, I love maps. Oh, I, I'm maps gonna are, I, I'm gonna maps see, are good. Yeah, I'm gonna see because now I can only bring up today's map. I guess I could probably find an old map, but what will what's the nearest town I can punch in in Germany? Of what? Where you're from? Oh, where I was born? Yeah. The uh, nearest town is called Bielefeld. B i e l e f e l d. Oh, Bielefeld, Germany. Okay. I'm going to do that. And I just want to see where it is. Yeah. And my mother was from uh, Schleswig-Holstein, up by the Danish border. Okay. And so that, that's pretty much Western Germany. Pretty much, yep. As you can see, it's close to the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah, Northwestern area. Right, okay. And so they met after the war and uh, got together and... Where is West Prussia on this map? Um, over here in Poland um, somewhere? Well, the main part of West Prussia would be Gdansk, which oh, okay. is called Bromberg, right? That was the, the main city in that area. Okay, got it, got it. So that was part of the, the Prussian Empire? Or what? Yeah, initially, yes. It was all uh, Prussian and German and stuff. Okay. At, actually, at that time, 1939, mm -hmm. when they... Uh, gave that they created the country of Poland mm -hmm. the name Poland had not been on a, a map of Europe for 135 years mm -hmm. so they just decided to make it up some his, anyway some history so buffs we re, 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 brought it back yeah right <laughs> yeah so anyway, I was born there and uh, actually what happened was it was 1948 the uh, Berlin blockade era that my father decided that it looks like there might be another war and he didn't want any part of it because he said everything he thought was worth fighting for was gone. So he started looking around for a place to emigrate to. And he looked through a number of countries and uh, so he finally decided on Canada and they accepted him and he went there and he rummaged around for about a year first to try to get things settled so then he could get... Uh, my mother and, and my siblings to go over there. When we went over there, I was 14 months old. Mm -hmm. So I was basically brought up in Canada, Canadian, Canadian of German descent, you might say. Yeah. You came to the Toronto area? Yep. And then uh, actually started off, well, his father started off in Montreal, but right. no work, 
work there, so he... Uh, That's where came, most immigrants came through, by boat to Montreal. It's the first major city by boat on the St. Yes. Lawrence. Yep, that is so, that was the main port of entry, I would say, for most Canadians. Montreal, yeah, and that's where Ertz showed up first as well. So, right. So even though there's a large English population, or there was in the fifties, mm-hmm. it was a it was a real Anglo French city. I don't know if it was half and half, but the Anglo's were definitely a big part of Montreal at that time. Yes, they were. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's not like you had to speak French. You could function perfectly well in English. You still can a little bit now, from what I understand, but for the most part, the Frenchies make it really uncomfortable. Yeah, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't hold that against them. I figure if they want to defend their their cultural heritage and stuff, I see nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But then everybody else in Canada should be allowed to do the same. Yes. But we have this encroaching Frenchness everywhere. So, in it's any a, case, that's beside the point. It, yeah, we could go down that rabbit hole, but uh, yeah, I think they're having a hard time. They have to pretty much keep their culture in force by force, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So that can't. That's not a winning. That's not a winning formula long term. It's not going to work. But they can try. Anyway, so your dad moved down to the Toronto area, like many English yeah. people, to. Lower or upper Canada? Yeah, he, when he got there, he could uh, speak Polish, Russian, German, and then he was learning his English right. while he was there. And, and we came along and... Uh, he could speak Russian? Yes, he could speak Russian. Wow. Well, because he spent three years on the Russian front, and he just naturally went and learned some of the language. Mm. <laughs> because actually, there's some similarities between Polish and Russian, so it wasn't overly difficult for him. To do that, okay. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, and being brought up in Canada, my parents did not have very well-paying jobs or anything. They both ended up having to work, etc. So, the time that they spent with their children was not as much as they would have liked. Which means I was left to the devices of the television set and the movies and the education system. And slowly, without me re- realizing it, I became kind of anti-German all right. because of all this. I didn't actually realize it because I was living in a German household, blah, blah, blah. Right? But my first indication was that uh, grade one, maybe, when I was getting harassed because of my German name and my German accent, which I had got. And uh, so we talked to a Scottish friend and... I decided I should get rid of my uh, German accent, which I did. And he also said, maybe you change your name to John. I said, yeah, okay. My parents said, yeah, okay, we'll do that. And things got a little better. So that was okay. So eventually, I really didn't want too much to do with all that. My, and my mother, of course, she was, uh, oh, uh, my father said we should, I should learn, you know, children should learn some German, whatever, especially me because I was the only boy. Mm-hmm. And my mother said, oh, no, you don't need to do that. We're in Canada now. Just, English is fine. So she was no help in that regard. So uh, eventually, I think in 1979, it was maybe, my parents were going back to another trip to Germany, and my father wanted me to go along. 
said, you know, I'm getting old. I'd like to introduce it to the to the old country, etc. And due to my main my mindset at the time, I didn't want to go. But he didn't say that because I knew that I was the only boy, and he really wanted to do stuff with me. So I reluctantly agreed to go. Of course, I didn't let him know it was reluctant. Mm-hmm. So the most interesting thing that happened to me was when we got there. You know, got to say again, it was kind of an anti-German mindset I had, right? We got there, the plane landed. We getting off the plane, and when my foot touched the ground, it wasn't an intellectual thing. It was an emotional thing. I felt I was coming home. I just couldn't believe that. Where did that come from? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that was a good start, anyway, on my travels, and so we went there, you know, did all the things that we did around there, and it was nice. It was, you know, met some relatives, and oh, I'd already told my parents, I'm not going to waste the entire trip just sitting around with relatives. I want to see the country. So my father and I went off and saw the country, and it was fun. It was a good time. I liked it. Anyway, we got back, and at some point, uh, my father had... You know, knew some other, uh, another old veteran there who had a store, and he said, okay, well, why don't you, uh, there's a group in Buffalo, New York, that's having a, a German thing, it's a pro-German group, <laughs> and maybe you might want to go to that. And my father said, yeah, I'd love to go to that. Uh, so he asked me if I would go. Again, I reluctantly agreed <laughs> that I would do that. So I went with him. And it was an interesting meeting, etc. and there was some uh, book book tables there, sellers, and I was looking around. I thought, well, while I'm here, I might as well buy a book. So I looked around, I picked up the book, I handed it to the seller with the money, and uh, he looked at me probably a good few seconds, which I thought was, you know, what's the holdup? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So then he opened the book, he wrote something in the cover, and he gave it back to me and took the money, and that was it. So I started ordering a few books, and then I decided maybe Canada is a good place to spend my money instead of the U.S. How can I find a place to buy some books in Canada? And then I remembered that somebody had written something in my book. So I looked at it. It was a phone number. And it turned out it was Ernst Sundel's phone number. Wow. So my, so my father and I went to visit him, and that was in 1975. And uh, we hit it off. Everybody hit it off, and... The whole thing just spoke to me. So we started uh, volunteering to help him, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how it all started. Really. What was he saying in 1975 that your dad and you liked? Well, my father, of course, he was really upset about how uh, Germans and German soldiers and things were portrayed in the media, mm-hmm. et cetera. Right? And so here was one German who was standing up for the truth about it all and for our honor, etc. So he caught that immediately. And that's what made him think, and myself, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I think just like that stepping off the plane thing, I guess there was this part of the German thing in me that hadn't been completely uh, snuffed out by our system. But uh, that spoke to me. That, and I could see, I started seeing a lot of things that I hadn't known about before. And I thought, wow, this is a revelation, <laughs> really. 
And so it started making me feel better, of course, it would, right? And uh, yeah, so we kept doing that. And eventually, Ernst got himself, well, well he did that. How many, so how many times did you visit Ernst? Was it just to talk about the war and uh, the Canadian experience for Germans? Is that, was that the main reason you guys met? Well, that actually, the main reason why I went there in the first place was to see what his, how many books he had for sale. Yeah. And it was just a talking with him, mm -hmm. et cetera, you know, expanding on and listening to what he was saying with my father about all these things. Because, of course, Ernst had a very large respect for all German veterans. Right. Et cetera. And the irony, Ernst was a pacifist. And from what I understand, the reason he came to Canada, the reason he chose Canada like you did was because it was the only country where they didn't have a standing army or there there was no draft, actually. There was no draft into the Canadian army. Yeah, exactly. There's no peacetime draft. You know, you either went or you didn't went. All of the country more or less did that, especially European countries. You know, it would come of age, you normally get drafted in for, I don't know, a year or two or right. however long, depending on the, the country. Then you go back to your normal life, etc. But he didn't even want to do that because he believed all the propaganda about how bad Germans were and all this stuff. So he wanted nothing to do with military or anything like that because he was brought up as a pacifist. His parents had become Seventh-day Adventists after the war. Okay. Because they were helped by members of the Seventh-day Adventists thing. Later on, he would he would call them uh, rice Christians, you know. Oh, really? Because we helped you, because we fed you, then you listened to our s sermons. Right. Makes we sense. We re re recruited you that way. Right. Thing, you know? So, um, yeah, that's why he... Recruitment for food. Pretty good deal. Yeah, especially when you're starving. Yeah, I can see sense. that. So, uh, yeah, and then the video part was 1981. Ernst had already got himself into a well-known position. Of course, he started political activities back in the 60s, actually. Yeah, tell us, before you get to the, uh, before you jump into the 70s, what was he doing when he got to Canada? Because he wasn't always just focused on the one topic he's famous for? No, when he first came to Canada, he wasn't focused on that topic at all. Yeah, not a bit. Nope, not a bit. No, he was... Uh, it was basically, he, he was a, a trades person, mm -hmm. right? He had learned the trade of photo retouching, stuff right. for advertising purposes. And, so and he on. came in the 50s to Canada before you, or about the yeah, same time? He, well, after us, actually. I came after My, well. Our family came to Canada in 1951. Okay. And uh, he came to Canada in 1958. Okay. So when your dad came, did he, how long before he became a Canadian citizen, your dad? Uh, I don't actually recall. I must confess, I don't recall. But he, exactly, did, he, what, he but, did become a Canadian citizen? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm just curious what the process yeah. was for Germans. Were they treated kindly for citizenship when they came to Canada? Were they considered um, refugees? What What was a German to yeah. Canada at the time? Do you know? Yeah, I, I don't recall. Okay. So, yeah, so he, uh, <clears throat> anyway, eventually became a, a German citizen. 
A Canadian I mean, citizen. Uh, Canadian, yeah. my father, Canadian, yeah. Canadian citizen, and so forth. And of course, he got all of his children to become Canadian citizens and all that. But uh, Ernst, he got, he came here, he started working, he went to learn more, better English, where he met his, his wife, his first wife. And then they moved to, because uh, she wanted to go back to where her family was. This was in Toronto, so they moved back to Montreal. And so he started learning French. And he met uh, Adrian Arcon. Now, why would he do that? Because Adrian Arcon, from what I read, was a pretty um, small sliver of the political spectrum. Well, it was because he started uh, doing political things. He started uh, getting on talk shows. Who, Adrian? Radio talk shows. Uh, Ernst was. Oh, Ernst was. So what? Yeah, a lot of radio talk shows and stuff about anti-communism and how he saw the communism creeping into the universities that he was attending. Trying okay. to get a better education here, etc. And he said one former um, Canadian Secret Service uh, man suggested to him after he listened to Ernst and got just what he was, he said, maybe you should go visit this guy, Adrian Arcon. He seems to be the kind of guy you would, you would learn something from, etc. Except on your kind of on your wavelength. So, but, so Ernst was, Ernst was concerned about communism because even though, was he political when he came here right away or was, was he anti-communist because of the war? How did he become that way and why did he see it as a danger? I'm really trying to get into Ernst's head how he became sort of activated. Or were all Germans like that? Like your dad. Was your dad anti-communist? Because... My father was a very simple man. Hmm. And uh, he he was the kind of person who was just an honest, hardworking family man. Okay. And during when the war come around and stuff like that, when he they uh, said, "Okay, we would like you know like to draft you into the army," he went to the army because his country called, and therefore he would go. Right, that type of thing. So he's a very, but he wasn't really big on the political spectrum of things. Actually, until probably after we met Ernst, you know, and then him and Ernst, him and uh, Ernst got talking a lot about things, and eventually mm-hmm. about the forbidden subject, etc. And so he became more so at that time. But earlier on, not. So anyway, uh, yeah, so Ernst got into all these things because of, I, I imagine, because of his uh, going to the university and stuff. Okay. I mean, that's, that's where you, they promote all this lefty stuff, right? Okay. More so even now than they did then. So Ernst and was a it, bit of an intellectual even back then, even though he was a tradesman learning um, or, knowing, or learning or being in graphic arts. Mm-hmm. photo retouching but he went to university was it for something else or or that like how uh, did he get mixed a, up with all the commies at university well i don't know the details about everything he was in university but he was a editor of the university newspaper and he he did a number okay. of other things there okay and in 1963 he applied for canadian citizenship okay and he was refused with no reason given but at the time, he was, and his writings were known to anyone that wanted to review them. Yeah, but as he part wasn't of his, doing all the things that he is 
Yeah. Now famous for. Right? But he was he was writing anti-communist stuff at school. Yeah. yeah, and he was like he said all these talk shows and stuff like that. So he was already uh, known. He was already a public figure. Yes. Okay. And then uh, so he wasn't your uh, average German anymore. Ed. Really? No, he wasn't. No. So he was on the radar. So if anyone wanted yeah. to look at this guy, then he had a he had a file or a dossier already. So in 1968, I think mm -hmm. it was the uh, then Prime Minister, Liberal Prime Minister of Canada, Lester Pearson. Mm -hmm. He was uh, retiring. Okay. So he was resigning the post. Yes. And so they, the Liberal Party, had a leadership convention. Yeah, leadership convention, and whoever became leadership of the party then would become automatically Prime Minister of Canada. That's right. That's how our system so, works. British parliamentary yeah. system. Yeah, it's very so, simple. So Ernst said, "I got to do this." So he's going to go and run. He was a member of the Liberal Party. Yeah, and so he's going to run for leadership right. against everybody else. Well, back in the day. The computer system that was used back then is not like the uh, like the system that computers that they have now. Right. Oh, I see Dave J just asked, "Can you ask guest specifizieren also Deutsch?" What does uh, Mister Dave J mean by that exactly? I don't know, but don't get too uh, yeah, don't no, get too okay. lost in the chat. I'm not looking at the no. chat. I'm not either. I just happened to catch that one. Yeah, I think anyway, he's trying so to say, can uh, you specken sie Deutsch? <laughs> I think that's what he's trying to say. That's, yeah. the, that's about the only phrase I know, too. I think it means, can you speak German? Yeah. Specken sie Deutsch. Yeah, so anyway, the computer system... But do you speak German? On, pardon me? Can you speak German? Uh, with some trouble, I can, yes. But I can understand everything. I can read everything. Okay. Watch movies, all that stuff. Just my talking through lack of... Uh, Practice. Practice. Yeah. And my grammar's not that good, so on. So there's, it's kind there's, of there's different levels of German, isn't there? My grandparents were German, so I can't remember if they spoke upper or lower German. Yeah, well, uh, high German is basically the language that was made so that everybody in the country could talk to each other. The rest oh. of it is all various dialects from various areas. Oh, I see. That's lower German. Yeah, lower German. Some dialects these people can't understand, and these people can't understand oh, where see. my where my mother comes from, where we went to visit in '79, stuff like that. Their dialect is what the heck was it called anyway? It was called uh, something. It'll come to me anyway. It was a dialect. We went there. I remember we all got together with the family, and everybody was speaking high German. You know, and of course, the more beer that was uh, consumed. The less high German was spoken, and the more the dialect was spoken. That by the end of the evening, my father and I couldn't understand a word that was being said by anybody. <laughs> but okay, wow, that's funny. See, I didn't know that. It was, yeah, it was funny. That is funny. It was, oh, it was, it was called Plettdeutsch. Yeah, Plettdeutsch. Okay, but anyway, anyway, so where are we? So Ernst, sixty-eight. So he was going to run for the leadership of the Liberal Party. Yep. So they had printed out uh, these thousands and thousands of. Uh, Computer cards, what do you call those things? And punch cards. Punch cards, yeah. Right. With all the names of all the candidates on them and all that. And you had to actually punch them or fill them in with a piece of uh, well, pen they, with you pencil? Well, you fed them into the machine and right. did whatever it did. But the point was that in order to become a candidate, you had to get X number of uh, votes, OKs from, from members of the party and stuff that said they agreed with you, right. more or less, and then you could become a candidate. Okay. Well, he went around and he just, you know, 
went around, talked to all and sundry, and, and eventually he got uh, enough people to agree with that he could become a candidate. So he went in there, and then the judges would look at his group of, you know, what he was, you know, all these different people who were saying they agreed, and they said, oh, no, he's no good, he's no good, he's no good. So it was always below the limit. So after the third time of that, Ernst told him, he said, I, I'm going to, you know, this is nonsense, etc. You're just doing this, <laughs> you know, just to keep me out of this. And I'm not going to put up with that. I'll tell the media, I'll do this, I'll do that. Unless you, you know, be honest about this. Well, he's so already rocking the vote. <laughs> yeah. So eventually they, they allowed him wow. to do that. But what did that mean? That mean they had to reprint, you know, 10,000 cards. Okay. Because they had to add his name. Right. <laughs> so nobody was happy about that. So he already pissed off the Liberal Party. He did, yep. The leadership. But eventually, of course, he lost because he got to speak in front of the convention, like 50,000 people in the arena. He got to speak to them about, you know, what his concerns were and what he thought Canadian society should be and so on. Right. So, uh, but anyway, he lost, of course, because uh, because he didn't have enough recognition and so on and so forth. Well, he was an establishment. Yeah, he was an establishment type of thing. So, they um, the people, the regular people don't, they don't get, they don't get, they don't go, they don't bubble up to the top. The people that are at the top are pulled to the top. Nobody bubbles up. Nobody's unauthorized in, in politics for sure to show. So, so anyway, but he, but he because tried. of all this, of course, Ernst had you know, developed a very good uh, supporter base. Okay. Of all kinds of Canadians. You know? And matter of fact, the German Canadians at that time that supported him were in the minority. He had support from all kinds of other ethnics right. and uh, English-speaking Canadians and even some French-speaking Canadians. And so on. So that was basically becoming his... Are there any uh, um, recordings um, of that speech? Oh. That would be interesting. Somebody must well, have recorded I remember it. The, I remember the day. When we were talking about that, or whatever, and he had, of course, then he moved back to Toronto and so on. And he said, yes, during the moves, he said, it seems, when he did that speech, he did. He had a, what, you know, one of those old reel-to-reel yeah. things. But the CBC must have recorded it. And, it he was a record, and he recorded it, etc. And then when he looked for it, when he came back, it seems he lost it on the way. And some of his moves and stuff, he couldn't find it anymore. And he was really upset about that. But yeah, maybe CBC might have it in their archives. It's possible. That would be worth getting. Because I wonder what he was what he was talking about. It would be nice if you could possibly pry it loose. you know, Or if they even kept it. Because back in the day, maybe they thought, ah, oh, well, it's not that important. Well, if it was I'm a sure leadership they, convention, they I'm pretty sure they would have recorded that. Yeah. At least for the radio. Yeah, I remember on one of the anniversaries of of that must have been seventy eight, maybe, maybe seventy eight. I re don't recall exactly, but uh, we went to uh, they had another liberal convention going on in Ottawa, and so we went down there and we demonstrated in front of the liberal convention in seventy eight. Pardon me, in seventy eight. Yeah, I think it was 78, one of the anniversaries. Anyway, we went down there and, and annoyed some of the the liberals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in so, C so after the convention or before the convention, he applied for citizenship? Before. 
right? Because you can you cannot so what's run. Interest, you can't what's run. You can't run for office uh, well, unless you're a Canadian citizen. Yeah, that's the whole point. Yeah, is that nobody asked him if he was a citizen or not? Okay, they just <laughs> assumed. So, uh, yeah, they just assumed. Why would anybody who's not a citizen do this? You know, type of thing. So it was kind of like, uh, if I may digress just a bit into history, okay. it's kind of a, a certain German uh, polit political figure back in the twenties by the name of Adolf Hitler. He was running for office until, you know, doing all the campaigning and stuff, until somebody pointed out that he wasn't a German citizen. He's an Austrian. And so, yeah, and so he went and got German citizenship. <laughs> all right. they, actually gave, they actually gave it to him. So, But I mean, yeah, the interesting idea that, you know, doing things with, when I don't really know about that. We all, no, I'm not going to go down that road just yet. Okay. Anyway, so that was uh, his... His beginnings, and then later on in the seven early seventies, I think it was. Let me see. I think it was in the early seventies that he started getting into the, uh, the the Holocaust subject. Mm -hmm. He got some information from people and talked to people, and he found it very interesting. And so he started putting out information, sending copies of things to teachers and ministers and members of parliament and so on. And eventually he, somebody uh, sent him a copy of Did Six Million Really Die, which really made his career for him <laughs> after that. And so he put that out a lot. And uh, next thing you know, he got charged with, uh, oh, well, oh, that's a little ahead of time. Yeah, well, how, so in the 70s, he was republishing or reprinting that pamphlet? And and a few others as well from other authors. Right. So, yeah, it was a so booklet. What was his motivation at that time, though? Because he didn't make the Liberal Party. He's still not a Canadian citizen, citizen so years have gone by. He's still a graphic artist. So he's a German national living in Canada. Yeah. See, originally he wanted to do something political for Canada. Right. Because uh, he saw that there was great potential in this country and it wasn't being... Realized. Realized. So, so he would like to do that. And do I don't something think... For this country, now he lived. However, when they didn't allow him to be a citizen, then he's thinking, okay, well, if I can't do that, what else can I do? Type of thing, right? So he uh, did that. Did that make working. him become anti-Canadian? Because that sure would make me anti-Canadian. Yeah. No, he wasn't anti-Canadian at that time. Yeah. Well, I sure would. They, everyone else is given citizenship around him. I would guess. How many oh, people yeah, are denied citizenship sure. in Canada? I, I, I don't that, know, but it certainly isn't. That's, un that's unheard of. Yeah. Were other Germans that he knew or you knew of denied citizenship? No, anybody that I uh, that I personally knew of, etc., who applied for citizenship got it. Mm -hmm. But uh, so I think he early on was identified as a, as politically incorrect, even though, or maybe politically uh, problematic. <laughs> yeah, he could be. He could become something bigger. Mm -hmm. So they def decided to poke a hole in the balloon early. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So he's on the radar really early. 
Yeah. And he was anti-communist, really. That was his big thing. That was probably one of his big problems. (laughs) But Canada... When was the McCarthy era? When was the McCarthy era in the United States when they were very anti-communist, or that at was least in the fifties? So yeah, so that sentiment uh, was probably still strong in the United States, but in Canada it was not. Mm-hmm. And Trudeau yeah. in '68, who won the leadership convention, was a Fabian socialist, which. Is like a communist, I would think. Yeah, it's down that road for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So they had, uh, so he decided, you know, that he's going to, you know, keep fighting for the uh, the honor of his people and of uh, the World War II generation, generation of his father. His father had been a medic. He's a conscientious objector, really, but he he was okay with being a medic during the war. So. Um, so he was fighting for, you know, bring out the truth as much good facts and stuff as he could about the realities of that time, etc. So uh, he decided, okay, how is he going to get the message out? Because at that time, of course, no, no internet, no nothing, right? The only way you could get a large audience really is through the mainstream media. Yeah, the newspaper, really. Yeah. So, so he can't really get ask, You can't really get access to the radio. Yeah. And TV, forget it. Yeah. So he uh, decided that he's going to do something really flamboyant. Mm-hmm. So see, he could make some money and get his message out. And what he decided to do was he decided to uh, utilize the concept of uh, Nazi UFOs. Okay. All right. So Nazi UFOs were... I was going to uh, ask you about UFOs because I don't really know about this topic with Zundel, but someone mentioned it. Yeah. He decided on this because somebody gave him a book about, authored by a German, uh, a German author, some kind of uh, engineer or something from back in the day. And he claims that the uh, Third Reich was working on UFO type technology at the time. Mm-hmm. So he basically translated the book and, you know, kind of changed it around a bit for North American audience. And he promoted it, right? And he made a killing. <laughs> he made a killing of it. He had to reprint the book three times. And he, and it wasn't so much just the money that he was making. It was that he got on lots of radio talk shows, wow. interviews. Did he believe he, in that, do you think? The UFOs? I think he thought it was an interesting thing to look at. But he didn't have the time, and he basically was using it as a vehicle right. to get into the mainstream media. He got on CBC once. I forget the name of the program, but do, they... Do you have it in your archives? Oh, that one? I wish I did. That was before we had the video and stuff, so we couldn't record it. Right. But uh, well, That was on CBC TV? Pardon me? That was on CBC TV? Yeah. Mainstream TV. Oh, you could, Bar- Barbara from yep. was a very famous. Oh, I know Barbara. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so she said to him, "Well, aren't you done the most amazing thing? You put together the two most uh, what do you call it, high profile? Um, what do you call it? Uh, things in society, basically. What and were the? Is, yeah, you. The, the two things were UFOs and Nazis. 
And so tell me about it. So he talked to her about the whole thing. Based, and the, the whole idea, of course, when you get on the shows and stuff, this was his, his strategy, was you get on the shows. And, of course, if you're going to talk about Nazis and stuff, how long is it going to be before show's the over? Forbidden, the forbidden subject comes up and stuff, Hitler and all that. And that's where he wanted to go, right? Yeah, so the actual talk about the UFOs went to the sidelines and the political talk, yeah. which is what he wanted, came to the fore. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. But this, <laughs> the show would be over as soon as he said a few words. No, it wasn't. They went the, the distance of the show. Yeah, And he was on lots of radio shows across Canada. Some more very well-known radio talk shows and stuff in uh, out west and other places on these subjects. You, you got it. You we got have re- We have recordings you, of these. You have them? Okay. Yes, they're on that on my site, <laughs> John Robinson One Hundred One. Okay. There. Uh, let's see. One of them is called Media Tactics Part One and Two. Can you can you is, give me all the links to these because they're really hard to find, as I said on BitChute. I I want to put them in yeah, the show okay. notes. Okay, I can do that. Because I, I can't even... This is the frustration with BitChute. That's why maybe mm-hmm. I could get you to... Uh, if you have a directory of everything you've uploaded. Do you know, I can't even see how many videos are on your BitChute channel. There's no... no it says on the, in the About tab. It'll oh, does it? Okay. Yeah. Oh, 994. Okay. Yeah. So far, yeah. So maybe... That might be a good thing to put in um, a directory and just share the directory because it's really easy to search when it's on your computer, isn't it? Mm-hmm, for sure. Anyway, so he did that, and uh, that got him recognition from a lot of people. And he got a lot of supporters out of that as well that he would not have otherwise had, etc. So it was a very interesting way. Did he actually believe that there were UFOs? He didn't. Uh, he didn't say. He didn't really know whether there was or wasn't, and he didn't have time to do what proper research would need be needed to find out. He okay, because that wasn't the point. That wasn't the point. He wanted to get no, on. He was just using that as a vehicle, and it worked. And it did work very well. <laughs> There's only one other guy in Canada that I know that talked about UFOs, and I think it was Paul Hellier, the defense minister. That he's still famous oh. to this day for that. Oh, yeah? Really? I, I think, think so. It. I'm not into UFO, so I don't really know. Yeah, me neither, really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, anyway, long, not long after that came the big, uh, came the big banning of his uh, mail rights. He got a letter in the mail. Oh, you guys, well, wait, he was mailing out this... So he got interested in the Holocaust topic because his main mission was to defend Germans and their reputation. He didn't like the propaganda. Yes, all the lies and calumnies and all that stuff. Because was that was that a big thing in Canada? Anti-German yes. sentiment was it? Yeah, like I said, I had the trouble in school. Right, and that was in the fifties. <laughs> and did he did he have any trouble himself personally being a German, other than just to have to put up with listening to anti-German media? Because there were a lot uh, of Germans that came to Canada, even 
I don't know when they all came, what the immigration pattern was, but we had a city in Ontario called New Berlin. Actually, he discovered that there's about, uh, I think it's 18 towns and stuff in Ontario with German names. Yeah. New Hamburg, New Berlin. Yeah. Of course, well, not, used, not called. Kitchener used to be Berlin. Or... That's right. It was New Berlin, actually, I think. No, it was just Berlin. Oh, was it just Berlin? Okay. Yep. Just straight Berlin. I figured it would be that New one. Berlin because there's New Hamburg. That's down the road. That's down yep, the highway. Oh, yeah. What interesting. Another thing that really got him going was in 1978 when that miniseries Holocaust came out. Yeah. He really was upset about that. And so he got all, he had, by this time, he had lots of supporters around the world, big time supporters in South America, South Africa, Australia. And uh, of course, United States and so on. And so he decided that we're going to get some action there. So he, he uh, talked to all his supporters around the world and we did it here and he got his groups to do it in all these other countries, all basically on the same day is to go out and demonstrate in front of either the movie theaters or the cinemas, you know, and in front of German uh, consoles and stuff like that you know, protesting that they allow this nonsense to, to, to carry on. Right. So he was really the only one defending Germans' reputation in Canada. As far as I know. I wonder, did, did he think that that was going to kill any chance of becoming a Canadian citizen? Was that important? Do you think that was important to him? Just well, for future I, protection? I, I think after the 1963 refusal, I don't think he really thought much of it hmm. after that. I don't think he actually, at that time, I don't think he thought that he was actually going to reapply or anything. So he didn't really care about that. Anyway, the one thing that was interesting was that the offices of Der Spiegel magazine, the big time magazine type yeah. German newspaper in South Africa, contacted him and asked him to uh, call off his demonstrations in front of their uh, headquarters in Pretoria <laughs> or in Johannesburg, rather. Because uh, they were obviously the protesters there were doing a good job, and so uh, eventually, I think he did. But because uh, basically the main uh, hype over it all was gone anyway, so he just let that go. But yeah, that was an, another one of his uh, his thing. Yeah, that was uh, grotesque. That uh, Holocaust thing. Um, all right. It was really something else. I mean, the miniseries, you know. Well, I'm thinking, we've been going about an hour. I, I'm trying to figure out if um, maybe we can we can continue this tomorrow and do another hour to because otherwise the story the story there's a lot more to the story. I want to maybe just make this a two parter if you're interested. Sure. Because I usually go I usually go about an hour and there's a ton of the story. And and because um, the the big part, the interesting part is 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 going to be at least an hour. What do you think? Yeah, it works for me. Well, I hope people are interested. In, I'm I'm interested in the topic for many reasons. One, that he was and became somebody who didn't take the official story of World War II, which is pretty much what I've done with 9-11. The official story is wrong, 
I had no idea that one, the government could put out a story and everyone believed it and didn't question it. <laughs> and and it's it, to this day, it's it's official history. And that's something within my lifetime that I witnessed, at least on right. the television. And my mm-hmm. my biggest thing with my re- research is that if the government or the powers that be can convince everyone of a lie, then we're screwed. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the lie is. Mm-hmm. 9-11 or JFK, you name it. Mm-hmm. I figured that is, an, that is a power that is incredible. If you can convince people, the majority of people, that it's a lie and shut down the dissenters, then you can say just about anything. So it seems like Ernst was doing the same thing with with Germany, World War Two, and because I want to talk about Adrian Arcand because I, I I guess I I found out that that's he was the guy that turned Ernst. Turned Ernst's world upside down. Indeed, he did. And um, that is a, that's a person that I've never heard of. And I took Canadian history, not in university, but I took it in high school. And I had pretty good time taking history. But Canadian history, I thought, was extremely boring. It was just about Indians and rivers, and <laughs> it, it was boring as all get out. But man. Mm. If we learn some of the things that went on, at least, say, immediate history for the last 60 years, it's pretty good stuff. It is. It's amazing stuff. And and my people in my father's generation, he was born before World War I, they said Canada was the country to be in in the 50s. And he yes. and, and that guy who did pretty well in the fifties, he said, he told me twenty years ago, Canada is not the place to prosper anymore. He said, if you want to go somewhere that was that is like Canada from the fifties, go to Mexico, <laughs> which is where he went. He went back then because he said Canada was in its absolute prime in the fifties. Mm-hmm. But something bad happened. In the 60s and 70s, and now here we are today. Yeah, Ernst used to always sing the praises of Canada. He loved this place back mm-hmm. then. Yeah. But what it has happened to it now? It has not changed for the better. Well, we're not a country anymore. Our, our crime sinister said that. He said, we'll be the f- world's first post-nation state. <laughs> yeah, how, many Canada's know, how many Canadians know that? What does that mean? Does it, isn't that a good question to ask? What do you mean there, uh, Trudeau number two? What does that mean? Exactly, yeah. Does that mean we could just wipe the word Canada off the map and just... I'm sure that's what he had in mind, yeah. No, it's still happening. Anyway. So why don't we do that? Why don't we pick up tomorrow, same time, same place? All right. Because um, most of the audience is only good for about an hour. And... um, I want to keep going on this topic if you do, because I find it interesting and fascinating. We're gonna we're gonna just highlight uh, the rest of the story. Alrighty, and then maybe eventually, if we keep going, just talk about some of the videos that he's put up because there's a lot of stuff, a thousand videos, and you videoed most of them. 
And you probably know the contents of all of them pretty pretty good. Pretty well. And in a way, like I said, Ernst was sort of an original fakeologist because he figured out that just about everything was upside down. Sure. And uh, what a, what a yeah. problem that is. Well, like I said if you if you watch some of his videos and stuff, he talks. He does more than talk just about the forbidden subject. He talks about a lot of other things in politics and in in human things, etc., that are really worth uh, listening to and taking cognizance of. And as a German, you're one of the only. Well, you're the only German I've found so far that's willing to talk about it. And number two. You're valuable valuable because you're the curator of the videos. So I don't think anyone knows the video collection better than you. Yes, I'm in all in all modesty, I would have to agree. <laughs> so when I have so if I have a question, say, hey, what did Ernst say about this? You could just pull up a video and say, Oh, I've got it right here. Most likely. So that that's why I think uh, you're a very valuable resource. When it comes to, because none of these topics have gone away today. They're all totally relevant. Just why is it that we can't talk about certain things? What are they hiding? You know, why, why can't we talk? Why can't we have serious talks about anything anymore? History, science, the nature of the world, the shape of the earth, what's up above us. None of this is talked about, ever. Well, I have the feeling that the powers that be would prefer to have the general population as simple as possible. <laughs> and so they don't want to introduce anything serious. They want us to be stupid and sick. Yeah, they want us to be very simple and easily, and therefore easily manipulated. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's, that's, what I, that's what I really want to explore. And why was Adrian Arcand thrown in jail during World War II for five years, put in a concentration camp without charge? Yes, without charge, without trial, mm -hmm. anything. That's Canada. That's where, That's Canadian history right there. Yeah. So why? What was so dangerous? The guy's an intellectual. Yeah. So Canadians put intellectuals in prison. Great. Yes, that puts them ahead of the curve, doesn't it? Something we should be proud of. So why don't we know about that? Mm -hmm. I guarantee if you said Adrian Arcon, nobody would know who you're talking about. Not one person. You, you could talk to a thousand people. You probably wouldn't even find one. <laughs> yes, I agree. Ern Zundel, for different reasons, yes. But not, in, not, not, not for anyone under 40, I don't think. I don't think you're going to get a reaction. All right. So. Okay, now, before we sign off, okay. I was just looking at the chat, and I do want to reply to Dingo Baby. Go for it. And he's asked about Dr. Lorraine Day. Okay. And I know of Dingo, I know of Dr. Day, but I haven't met her myself. I've seen videos by her. I know of her, uh, her fight with cancer that she eventually cured through natural means, etc., but I don't know anything else about her, really. But I, I do believe she's still on the internet. She has her own channel and things. So if people want to know any more about her, that would be the place to look. 
Yes, I've I've watched, I've posted a couple. I think I put a couple of her videos on my channel as well. She's very outspoken, I think. There's a couple of older ladies that are like her that that speak out, especially on the coronavirus hoax. Mm -hmm. um, yes. she's, she might be one of them. I'd have to bring her up to actually recall her, but I've got at least three or four older ladies on my channel that <laughs> are very outspoken. They, they say similar things, so I might be confused. So, Okay, we're going to... We're going to go back. We're going to start back tomorrow because we don't have a guest tomorrow. Anyhow, Monday is sort of a free open day because we have regular guests on my channel Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, although they're flexible, but tomorrow is open. So may as well just keep going tomorrow. And let me just tell you that Ernst's last speech in Mexico, <laughs> which was the speech that really kind of turned me around on okay. is this guy fake or is this guy a controlled opposition mm -hmm. um, there's all kinds of sites that that pretend that that can lead you in the wrong path on earth that's why i figured i'll talk to the guy that spent the last 40 is it 40 50 years with the guy 50 yeah, 40, years 40 some odd yeah so you 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 could probably answer the question better than anyone cuz if he was a phony baloney i don't think you'd hang around him you probably figure that out too. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing for sure. Mm -hmm. I could have made a lot more money working at my trade rather than working with him. So yeah. If you I thought he was phony. I would have been gone. Yeah. You gave up a lot. You gave up a lot. So what I'll do is to play out, I'll play this last speech. I played it before because it, uh, it's pretty good. I'll play the uh, show out on this and then, um, We'll reconvene tomorrow. Okay. Same time, same place. Right on. All right. I hope you enjoyed yourself, John. But have you done interviews before? Do you have any? Uh, the odd one, yeah. Okay. Are they on your channel? Yeah, they're in that uh, folder that I that you downloaded of all my videos. Okay. Any long-form video interviews or just little uh, short, short hits? Uh, I think I put them in. Anyway, I did... The notable ones were two two half hour ones and two one hour ones. Oh, okay. On various places, and of course that one short one that's when I spoke in 1987 at the IHR. So well, let me just show people because they can they can share they can get a hold of all the videos that you've shared with me. Okay. And if so, if anyone wants to grab these videos and have them just show up on their computer instead of trying to download them using a download program you can go to fake11.com that's my shortener fake11.com forward slash zundel is it zundel or zundel 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 so it's fake11.com forward slash z-u-n-d-e-l or z-u-n-d-e-l if you are in the commonwealth countries and um, you can sync all these files at once this isn't everything you have, but this is a good collection that you've given. Yeah, the majority. Yeah. You can just grab them up and um, and download them and then find them. So if there's any link, any of the things we talked about tonight, John, if you just want to send me an email with the links on your site, I'll just put, it'll be easier for me and I'll just post the links in the show notes. Okay. If you can remember what we talked about. <laughs> but this video 
of our show tonight. It will be on FacoTube in about 15 minutes. So you can just download it if you want to listen again. Alrighty. All right. Thank you, John. And I'm going to play Ernst Sundel, his last talk in Mexico in 2015. And he, this is just the last three minutes or so. And uh, I guess it was his last public appearance. Indeed. So here we go. All right. Thanks, uh, John. Okay. See you tomorrow. Take care. So we'll we get this audio working. Unmute the site. Here we go. Ernst Sundel. I was, of course, fully alert that this was going to be my fate. I was not blind to the power of my enemies. And I did not do this publication and bring Leuchter to Toronto to the courtroom for myself. Because for me, introducing the Leuchter report in my defense was a disaster. It made my enemies far more furious than if I had not brought it. But I wanted to do this because we had for the first time separated the paper war and elevated it to a scientific plateau. And it was a totally different ball game from that moment on. And I did that for, for humanity. I can honestly say that because Germany was one of the leading intellectual and productive nations in Europe. You could say Germany was the leading nation in Europe and that the world accused my fatherland of this genocidal maniac deed poisoned the relationship between all kinds of other nations and I wanted to remove the poison. And if it killed me as a person, as it nearly did, but if it killed me, this little publication was my gift to the world to free them from this terrible trauma that was induced in the people of the world after the Second World War. So people have asked me, people have asked me, oh, Ernst, was it worth it? You know, would you do it again? Naturally. <laughs> Naturally, with my mother in my ear, that I had to do this. Was I, not, was I going to say, no, I would never do it again? No, I can tell you quite honestly, I consider it a privilege. I consider it a privilege. And it humbles me that I was chosen by destiny to bring this, to bring this forth. And, and I, I, uh, all the prison cells, all the times when I had a chance to renege, it never ever occurred to me that I could renege on having done that. So I am proud and can tell you I'm glad that I did it.